Hello and welcome to Jetavanarama Buddhist Monastery. Today we meet with the 15th episode of the series of Dhamma talks titled Buddha's Guide to Happiness. It seems only yesterday we started talking about all these new things that you have been learning, listening to, assimilating along the way. But I hope whatever you have learned over the last 14 episodes, you have been able to reflect on, use it in your lives so that it makes your lives all that more worthwhile. Give meaning to a useless, senseless, meaningless rat race that most of you might have been involved in and would have even celebrated. You see, as I explained to you in some of the very first talks, everything that I share with you here, folks, is to realize nothing to be taken through blind faith as I have reminded you time and time again but I will keep on emphasizing this because it is very important you mustn't take on board anything that does not make sense to you if say for instance in one of these talks I share with you something that does not add up for you that does not make sense to you it does not relate well to whatever experiences you've had in your life and it seems contrary to what feels true to you in which case I do not expect you to take such advice such words ideas concepts or sentiments at face value and to just run with it. No, by a long shot. It is not what I expect. Because it is certainly not the way that I learned these things and the way that I have made them relevant to my life. This is a very practical approach. And it has to be. If Buddhist philosophy is about how we live our lives, it is a principle that can help guide the way we live our lives, then life being the most practical thing you could possibly think of, then whatever principle that teaches us how to live that life must take a practical approach. So, if anything does not make sense to you, then I do not expect you to take it at face value, take it as gospel. But instead, I don't expect you to discard it entirely either. So we don't need to be extremists, one way or the other. Instead, my tuppence worth of advice would be, keep it to a side, take on board whatever makes sense to you, apply whatever makes sense to you into your lives, 
try it out and then through the practical aspects through their application the other stuff just allow it to make sense to you eventually consider it but not accept it blindly because it is through consideration through reflection and through deliberate and continuous application will they start making sense to you and at the end of the day there is nothing really that i have asked you to do essentially i have not asked you to change the way you do anything in your life have i i have not asked the way you i have not asked to change the way you talk the way you walk the way you behave in social situations i have not asked you to shave your head as i have done i have not asked you to change your diet or any other aspect of your day-to-day life why for one simple reason buddhist philosophy is not to change any of those things it is simply to realize and that is a wholly intellectual affair all you need to understand to realize the ultimate truth to achieve an a never-ending and unconditional happiness is a mind an intellectual mind because things have to make sense to you when they are presented to you in agreeable terms a willingness to consider such new ideas even though they may be very different to ideas that you may have held as true for a long period of time if you've got these two aspects these two elements these two prerequisites i expect nothing more from a good student i would expect only the same so those of you who have remained with us throughout this series all the way up until the 15th episode i think will be prime evidence that there is some essence in these words some wisdom in these words that have made sense to you the level to which you allow these words to make sense to you allow these words to reverberate with you and allow these words to bring a light a realization within you to that level you will begin to understand enlightenment so before we take yet another step on our journey let us first take a moment to pay homage to the supreme buddha the perfect one the magnificent one the unvanquished one the undefeated one he who was the first teacher in this lineage of teachers who have passed down this knowledge this wisdom 
down through the ages. The first teacher who discovered this truth and who with his infinite compassion, infinite mercy upon all sentient beings shared this with us. So let us now take a moment to do that. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samha sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa In last week's talk, I explained to you the true nature of pleasure. I invited you to further reflect on that. And at one point I made a remark which most of you will still remember. Some of you will remember and would have struck a chord with. Others might be still wondering, what did Bhante really mean by that? So I wish to revisit that statement and continue from there on. What was it? Simply that I expect you, through your realization, through reflection, through your understanding to fall out of love with pleasure. And as I said that, I also stated that it is not my expectation that you should stop feeling pleasure. What did I mean by that? What do I expect of you? Because of course, for you to aim for something, for you to be able to do something, you need to understand what is being expected of you, right? Certainly. I expect you to fall out of love with pleasure. Let me first explain what I don't expect from you. Perhaps then it will become all the more clear. When you listen to these words, when you follow this series of talks and you remain a diligent student, I don't expect that at a certain point you will all of a sudden stop feeling pleasure. If, say for instance, cake, chocolate is something that brings you pleasure right now. As you listen to these talks, you will begin to realize that pleasure was not something that was inherent in either of those things. It is the relief of vexation that you experienced, experience now, and may experience in the future as pleasure. Just because you understand that, 
doesn't mean that you will stop feeling pleasure, the actual sensation I'm talking about. I don't expect that it will stop all of a sudden, just like that, and so abruptly. I don't expect that of you. I don't expect that you should have some sort of animosity towards pleasure. All I expect is that you fall out of love with pleasure. Meaning, I just want you to understand what pleasure is all about. It is not a bad thing. It's not some kind of evil thing. It's not vile. No. I'm not against pleasure. What I'm against is people not understanding what pleasure is all about. What pleasure is in reality. That is the problem that I have. That is the problem that I hope you have. So that is what I hope to achieve by sharing these ideas with you. I want you to understand what pleasure is all about. What is it? I want you to understand the truth about pleasure. I don't want you to be thinking tomorrow, say, after you listen to this talk, at some point, right? Let's say you walk up to your fridge, open it because you want to have something, and uh, in there is a bar of chocolate. Now you're sat there wondering, oh, hang on. Bhante just explained in his sermon, or in his talk, that chocolate, the pleasure that you experience through chocolate, is fake. Right? So, should I really have this chocolate now? Is that a bad thing to do? Should I now throw it out? And maybe should I go and tell my friends not to eat chocolate anymore? No. Absolutely not. I have nothing against chocolate or anything or anyone for that matter. I only have a bone to pick with ignorance. What do I mean by ignorance? Ignorance is not knowing the truth. That's the only thing I don't like. Not knowing the truth. All I want you to do is to understand the truth. You will understand the truth when you reflect on the truth. When you listen first and then you reflect on the truth. Allow that realization to come in, to set in at the right time. When, at what point, with whom, don't worry about such matters. If you understand it today, then fantastic. If you got it last week, brilliant. If perhaps the right time for you is the following week, no big deal. Just allow time to do its thing. While you allow time to do its thing, you must do your thing. And what, what is that? That is to dedicate yourself, commit yourself to understanding the truth and nothing else. Do you like to be cheated on? Do you? 
Do you, do you like if someone cheats on you? Do you like to find out that the person you've been living with, a friend, an acquaintance, a colleague, or your loved one, has been cheating on you for so many years? No, that's devastating, isn't it? No one likes that. No one likes to be cheated on. No one likes to not know the truth. That's why when you find out something is not right, you find out that something doesn't sound right, or you have a suspicion about someone or something, what's the first thing you do? Come on. Of course. You go and ask. Come on, tell me the truth. It's okay, I can handle it. Just tell me the truth. Just give it to me as it is. Don't hide stuff from me. I don't like that. You see, the reason for that is we all like to make informed decisions. We like to be in control of our lives. And so be it. Great. That's what I want for you. For you to be in control of your life. For you to be in control of your life, you need to understand life. You need to understand the things that happen to you in your life. You know, we discussed this right at the beginning. There is a single purpose of all our lives. We are all after one thing, and one thing only. And that is to achieve the maximum amount of happiness through our existence on this planet. Isn't that right? The reason you go to work, the reason you take education, the reason you have pasta for dinner tonight, the reason you go on holiday, the reason you have kids, the reason you bring them up to become good citizens, the reason you have a pastime, hobbies, listen to music, anything. This is all in the name of happiness. Even those people who do stuff for others, for their benefit. They do so because that's what make them, makes them happy. They do so because that's what makes them happy. Is that wrong? No, I don't say it's wrong. But that's why they do it. It's because it makes them happy. You see a, a beggar, a poor man, uh, someone who's hungry, you may offer this person some money or maybe your lunch. You see an elderly person struggling to cross the street, you might go and give a helping hand. Perhaps a blind man. You might go and guide him. Lots of things we do in our lives. In fact, virtually all things we do in our life, we do with this one purpose in mind. Because we all like to be happy. Is that bad? No, of course not. It's good to be happy. And we must be happy. We must all be happy. But we must be the right kind of happy. That's my point. True happiness is where we need to be aiming. 
Not a fake happiness. Not a happiness which is really unhappiness, sorrow, sadness, fear, fright underneath. But just superficially appears to be happiness. That's not all right because that's fake happiness. Pleasure is something like that. This is why we need to understand as soon as we possibly can the distinction between pleasure and happiness. It will come with time. All you need to do is to listen to what I share with you and reflect on these words in your own time. So I want to reassure you though, and that is why I have said all this, I want to reassure you folks, just because you listen to this and just because you understand it and you realize this to some extent doesn't mean the very next day you're not going to experience any kind of pleasure. I don't expect that and that's not normally how things work. And the reason for that is your view of something is one, but your experience may be another. I'll give you an analogy just to help this idea sink in better. Let's imagine a guy, he picks up the habit of smoking, influenced by his mates, whatever, right? And he's been smoking for a while, but he doesn't know the effects of smoking. He does not know that it's harmful to him. You might ask me, can that be so, Bhante? How can someone not know that hope smoking is bad for them? Well, you say that, but did you know back when smoking was introduced to people, you'd even see doctors, professional doctors on newspaper adverts and they claimed that doctors smoke a particular brand of cigarette. Even doctors were used for the advertising of cigarettes because they wanted to prove the point that there was nothing harmful about smoking. So there was such a time. But today, because of all the information that surrounds us and because most people know the truth and we talk about it everywhere, it's on the back of cigarette packets and all over the place, right? Almost everyone knows the harmful effects of smoking. But, so this is a very far-fetched example, but one that is very useful to understand the problem at hand. So, imagine there's a guy, he's been smoking for quite a while, and he has a cough once in a while, and, but he never, of course, attributes this to his smoking because he doesn't, he doesn't know. Therefore, he doesn't believe that smoking is harmful to him. But say at some point, a friend invites him to get a checkup. So he visits his doctor 
And the doctor runs a thorough scan, gets an x-ray of his lungs and puts it up on the screen and says, Look, look at what you've done to yourself, young man, the doctor says. So he looks at the scan and goes, What's all this stuff? Well, let me show you. This is a, a normal, a healthy pair of lungs. And this here, young man, are your lungs. Can you see the difference? Yes, what's all this stuff? Indeed. That's what smoking has done to you. Your cough, all that is the effect of your prolonged smoking. Your cough, all that is the effect of smoking for a prolonged period of time. So if you don't stop immediately, you're going to have a terrible time. Life is going to become very difficult for you, young man, the doctor says. Now, this young man is shocked. Not at a single... Not once did he know. Not once did he think that smoking was going to be so harmful to him. And without him even knowing, he started off with one cigarette a day, but having smoked for a long period of time, by this point, he smokes 10 to 15 cigarettes a day. All the while, thinking that it's harmless. He has become addicted to smoking. Now, tell me. He has now understood that the pleasure that he got from smoking has not been pleasure after all. That it has done a lot of harm, a lot of damage to his lungs and to his health in general. Now, he has fallen out of love with smoking. He was in love with smoking previous to this. Why? Because he did not understand that there was anything fundamentally wrong with smoking. All he experienced was the joy of smoking. It was what he did when he was among, his, among friends. It was a fun thing to do. He enjoyed it. I personally have not experienced smoking and that's probably why I'm struggling to explain what sort of joy smoking can bring. But I imagine it does to those who are smokers. So, anyway, in this situation, this young man, he has experienced whatever joy can be experienced through smoking and for him that experience was very real. He never felt at any point that experience was fake but he never realized at any point that he was killing him silently. That he was doing him more harm than good. Now when he understands this, once the doctor has shown him the results of his examination and he realizes the damage that it has been doing to him he falls out of love 
with smoking. Does that mean, right, does that mean that the very next day or from that moment on he can stop smoking altogether? Now, I'm sure there may be some among you or maybe people you know who when they were revealed to the damage it had done to them, they stopped immediately. But the thing is this though, there is so much information about smoking around us these days in the newspapers, books, magazines, and the government talking about it and trying to make people aware of it, that people still pick up smoking, don't they? This is not me being critical of any, any of that. I'm simply stating a point. People still pick up smoking. And people still continue smoking. Remember, I have nothing against smoking. This is not me having a go at smoking or people who smoke or anything like that. I'm just using an example to help you understand the problem at hand, which is pleasure. I could have used any other example. This is just the one that came to mind. So, this young man, just because he has understood the damage that it has done to him, he is not able to break that habit because it's become a habit now. He's become addicted to it. He can't break it just like that. It's going to take him a while. It's reasonable, isn't it, to expect that it's going to take him a while? There may be some among you who've had that experience and some among you who by now maybe have stopped smoking or maybe you're trying to get rid of the habit. Now he wants to stop smoking. But has he? No, he wants to, but has he? No, he hasn't. Why does he still smoke then, you might ask? Exactly. Knowing that it's bad for him, he still smokes. It's not because he's an idiot. No. It's because one is knowledge, the other is experience. He now is knowledgeable that smoking is bad for him. But what is his experience? His experience when he smokes is a good feeling. He feels good. You can't deny that. He feels good. It may be because his body needs a, a nicotine top-up and as soon as the body receives it, the body makes you feel better. Perhaps, I don't, I don't know the mechanics of all that, but people still smoke, knowing that it's bad for them, right? So, the same goes for this guy. He knows it's bad, he knows he should stop it, and he wants to stop it. But just because he wants to stop it doesn't mean he's going to stop it just like that. But does he want to continue this habit for as long as he possibly can? Oh no, there's no doubt about that. In fact, it may be that before he realized the truth about smoking, he introduced smoking to others, maybe his friends. Maybe he encouraged others to have a smoke. Anytime he would 
light a cigarette, he probably would have offered people around him, maybe his friends. But now, he doesn't do that. Why is that? He doesn't do that now because he knows it's not the right thing to do. He knows that it hasn't done him all that good. He knows that it has done him a great deal of harm. And he wants to stop it. Do you think, at any point from here on, he would ever introduce smoking to someone? Not if he's in his sane mind. He wouldn't do that. Because he knows what, ha- what it has done to him. He knows how difficult it is now to break this habit. He knows the harm, the damage that it can do and it has done to him. So he doesn't introduce this to anyone. Why? Because now all he wants is to try and break free from this habit. Now he will employ certain tactics, strategies, such as he'll try and spend as little time as he possibly can with his friends who are smokers. If he used to have the habit of having a smoke right after a meal, now what he does is he's picked up a new habit. Right after a meal he goes for a walk with his dog just to try and take away the impulse, the urge to light a cigarette. It may be that he used to have lighters all over his home and it may be that he had cigarettes quite easily accessible wherever he was at home. But now he's got just one box in a cupboard somewhere And if he ever feels the urge, he's got to pick himself up, walk up to the cupboard, open it. Maybe he's even got it locked now. And perhaps the key is under the fridge. (laughs) See, all this he's putting himself through because he wants to stop this habit now. But there will be days when he will fail. But even when he fails... He realizes, today I have failed, but tomorrow I will succeed. I want to stop this. But do I still smoke? Yes. If you ask him, he'll give you that answer. Why do you still smoke? Well, it's because I just can't break the habit. I'm trying to, I'm trying to. I've joined a help group. I'm taking counseling. I'm now hanging around a different kind of friend. A different group of people. Now he's making all sorts of efforts to break the habit. And eventually he will. He will because he's trying to. He will because he's, he has now realized that smoking's bad for him. Now I want you to apply that analogy to pleasure. Because it works in much the same way, folks. Just because you have understood that pleasure is fake, that does not mean, and mark my words, it does not mean that you will absolutely stop feeling all kinds of pleasure from this point forward. It doesn't work like that. Your mind will still seek pleasure. You'll still want pleasure. But at the same time, In the back of your mind, if you have understood this, if you have realized the truth about pleasure, 
you will want to stop it. Why? Because you now know that pleasure is simply an experience that is had when either mind or body is relieved from vexation, from pain, from suffering. That it is fake. It is simply the reduction of pain that you experience as pleasure. It is nothing substantial, it is not essenceful, it is essenceless. There is no substance in it. It's not something you can hold in your hand. It's not something you could quantify. So, this is the point to which I want to first bring you all. To fall out of love with pleasure. Not to stop you from feeling pleasure. What do I mean by feeling pleasure? Whenever you have felt pleasure, previous to listening to these talks, you will continue to feel pleasure as you did henceforth. When you eat something you like, when you watch something you like, when you listen to something you like, when you do something you like, when you're among people you like, right? When you think about something you like, they will bring you pleasure. What do I mean by they will bring you pleasure? Is it the experience that brings you pleasure? Is it the thing that you just ate that brings you pleasure? Is it that piece of music you listened to that brought you pleasure? Oh no, now you understand that those things do not have pleasure to afford you. They don't give you pleasure. Pleasure is simply an experience, a wholly internal experience. It is not something that comes from the outside. So it's a wholly internal experience within the mind or in the body. An experience of relief from vexation or from pain. That is for the mind and the body respectively. That which you expect is a source of vexation. When you receive what you expect, when you have acquired what you expect, the vexation that was there when you first expected it is taken away. And it is that relief that you experience as vexation. I'm trying to present this to you in every way and form I can because it's very important that we cross this bridge as we move on to greener pastures. To move on to bigger and better things, we need to first understand the mechanics of pleasure, the reality of pleasure. I need you to fall out of love with pleasure. That is why I that is why I'm spending a little bit of time, a little bit of extra time talking about this. I don't want to rush through this because I need you to understand this. This is why I have invited you to visit 
experiences that you have had. You know, go back in memory lane. Revisit some of the things that you have done. As far back as you can go, or maybe just yesterday. Things that you did in the name of pleasure. Things that you did because you wanted to be happy. Yes, you experienced pleasure. True. But what was that pleasure? What was the making of that pleasure? What were the building blocks of that pleasure? What was the mechanics of that pleasure? Was it real? Was it the experience or the object, the person, the item of food, the music you listened to, the song, the piece of art? Was it the dress? It's very easy to say that's a beautiful dress. But is the dress beautiful? Is beauty an aspect of the dress? Why is it that not everyone finds the same dress beautiful? Right? If that were the case, then you'd never be able to go shopping, wouldn't you? Why? Well, because whatever dress you thought was beautiful, everyone would want it. Everyone would want that. And then you'd never be able to get it for yourself. If everyone thought the same item of food was pleasurable, then at a restaurant, you'd just need to have that one item. No one would want anything else, meaning you'd never be able to have that at the restaurant because they, wouldn't, they would have run out of it. <laughs> I'd even go as far as saying, the reason that people today live in this world without getting on each other's necks is because pleasure is fake. If everyone found the same thing, the same person, the same event, the same object pleasurable, then this world would be a very different place. It would be chaos. Don't you think so? Imagine that. You see, think about when not everyone, but a lot of people want the same thing. What happens? Is it not chaos? I'll take a subject that I don't usually talk about. Let's say politics, for instance. A political seat. Let's say president. Prime minister. What happens when a lot of people want the same thing? Usually, chaos. There'll be riots. There'll be fights. There'll be war. Won't there? Now imagine, just imagine, if everyone found the same things pleasurable, the same item of food, the same dress, the same person. Think about you, your, think about yourself. You married your wife or you married your husband because you thought that they were a source of pleasure, right? You thought she was beautiful, you thought he was handsome. Your prince charming, you thought. Your Cinderella, you thought. What if everyone 
thought the same way, you'd have had no chance, would you? Would you honestly? Had that been the case, you would not be married right now, but rather you'd be more dead than married right now. If everyone wanted the same thing. You know, when one of the things that everyone wants these days is money, isn't it? People have always wanted that. Because money allows people to get the things that they want. Right? So everyone, therefore, wants money. So when everyone wants money, what happens? Why do you have to protect money so much? Why do you need to have a bank account which is double-locked? Right? You're, even your online bank, you have two-factor authentication, you have fingerprint locks, and you have biometric passwords, and all sorts of things, right? And they have encryption. Right? Think about that. Safes that they put their money, the banks put their money in. And security guards that keep an eye on it 24-7. Why all this? That's what happens when a lot of people want the same thing. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that money brings you pleasure. Because most people want that. But think about some of the other things that you have thought up until now are a source of pleasure. Whether that is the wristwatch that you wear on your wrist. Whether it is the people that you believe bring you happiness. Whether it is your home, your car, where you live. Sights, sounds, smells that you have experienced. The food that you like to eat. The games that you like to play. Anything, anything and everything that you have done in the name of pleasure. Just think about it. Just the fact that not everyone wants what you want is good news for you because that is the only reason that today you are still able to experience them. But the fact that not everyone wants what you want is also solid evidence you cannot deny that pleasure is not intrinsic. That pleasure is not an intrinsic element of that thing, person, event, and so on. And yet, even when pleasure is not something that can be obtained through our consumption of objects, through eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body, yet... And even after all that, when pleasure is not something that we can experience through our consumption of the outside world objects, it is also fake. Why? Because it is an experience. It's merely an experience that the mind or body has when it is relieved of vexation. That is why I say it's fake. It's cheap and it's fake. I say it's cheap because not everyone wants it. When not 
many people want it, something's cheap, right? When everyone wants it, then that's when something's expensive. Everyone wants pleasure, yes, but not everyone wants pleasure from the same things. Why? Because pleasure is not something that can be, that can be had from things. But instead, it's an experience, it's a function of the mind. Therefore, pleasure is cheap. And it's fake. Why? Because the pleasure that you do experience is not what it claims to be, is not what it seems to be. That experience, when you look at it insightfully, when you penetrate and look through the veil of ignorance, you begin to realize that all that happened was you were in a state of more pain and now you are in a state of less pain. That is the only thing that happened. Try this out. A very simple example to prove the point to you. Right? You can do this with me. Hold your thumb out just out like this and squeeze it with the two fingers of your other hand. Squeeze it as hard as you possibly can until it begins to go red and, and it becomes painful. Right? Now, let go of it. How does that make you feel? Did that not make you feel good? Try again. Right? Thumb. Two fingers on the other hand. Now squeeze it as much as you possibly can. As hard as you possibly can. At some point it's going to be very painful. Right? Now, when you, can, when you have squeezed it as much as you possibly can, when you can't take the pain anymore, or when you run out of squeezing power on the other hand, let go of it. Do you experience that relief? That is what you experience as pleasure. Did you experience that pleasure before you squeezed your thumb? Did you? You didn't, did you? That pleasure was not to be had before you squeezed your thumb. You only experienced that pleasure having squeezed this and then let go. So you see, this is a function. First, squeeze. Then, feel pain. Now, let go. And then, relieve from pain. The end product? Pleasure. Why? Pain and relief from pain. That is what you experience as pleasure. So was that pleasure... Where was that pleasure derived from? Was it in this thumb? Or was it in these two fingers? What brought you the pleasure? If it was in the thumb, then you should be feeling that pleasure right now. Or even before you started squeezing that thumb. If it was in these two fingers, and it was these fingers that transported that pleasure onto this thumb, then these two fingers should have given you that pleasure right from the beginning. But did it? No. So pleasure was not in either of these two things. So pleasure was not there to begin with. But what happened? First, you had to introduce pain. Right? 
you kept on introducing pain and you see if you do if you squeeze it a little bit and let go that's a little amount of pleasure if you squeeze it a lot and let go that's a lot of pleasure what if you what if you used a hammer and just whack your thumb and now when that pain starts to diminish how does that make you feel oh that makes you feel so good don't do that but i'm just saying this is to this is a simple exa exa this is a simple experiment to help understand the true nature of pleasure pleasure is not something that is objective pleasure is not something that exists anywhere it's not something you can go and buy off the shelf not all the money in the world can buy pleasure folks i hope you understand this i really want you to realize this pleasure is not something you can get from anything or from anyone or from any place it's simply the product of a function it's a product of a process and what is that process pain and then relief from pain so therefore no pain no gain where there's no pain there's no pleasure in which case just think about the cost of pleasure what is the cost of pleasure one answer pain that's the only answer the cost of pleasure is pain if the cost of pleasure is pain why would you want that pleasure would it not be better if you did not have to have that pain in the first place which is the way it was because you had to introduce that pain pain is artificial and pleasure is fake pain is not natural i i don't mean about physical pain but mental pain that's not natural i will i will elaborate on that point in future talks pain is not natural mental pain certainly is not natural it is artificial meaning the mind inflicts pain upon itself through a process the purpose of these talks is to introduce this process to you the process that you unknowingly and unwillingly go through in your mind once you understand it your very understanding of it will cease that process thereby eradicating vexation once and for all and therefore when there's no longer vexation you will no longer be seeking relief from the from a vexation that does not exist and therefore that is the end of pleasure all of this is to realize there's nothing you need to do per se this is all to realize so in today's talk my effort was to further emphasize the point and to further help you really understand and comprehend the truth about pleasure understand that pleasure is fake it's cheap and it's fake so i invite you to contemplate on the ideas that 
and I've shared with you in this talk today. And what I mean by that is to visit your life experiences. You have a whole lab of life experiences. You know, none of you are short of life experiences. So there are there are ample opportunities for you to visit those experiences of pleasure in your life and keep asking yourself the question. Was there a pain that was relieved that brought me this pleasure? We have discussed numerous examples by now in these talks, not only in last week's but also in previous weeks. You can go back and listen to some of them. And also we will continue to do so in future talks. Each time I have one expectation of you, there is one thing I expect from you, and that is I want you to fall out of love with pleasure. Once you have fallen out of love with pleasure, I can then show you how to stop the process of falling into the trap of vexation. But until and unless you fall out of love with pleasure, there isn't really a point in me showing you, talking to you about how to stop the very process that brings you pleasure because you wouldn't be interested. You wouldn't want to hear that. You wouldn't be interested by any stretch. Why? Well, when someone's in love with something, why would you want to stop the very thing that brings him that? That's why. It may be that by now you have understood this, you have comprehended it, in which case fantastic. But please continue to reflect on that. And if you haven't as yet understood it, then again contemplate, maybe revisit some of the previous talks and watch it one or two times and it will certainly start to make sense to all. If it made sense to me, if I could understand it, if I can do it, of course you can do it. There's no magic here. It's simply logic. So with that, I will leave you for today and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Before we conclude, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired and to be grateful to all those who have helped us get this far in our lives, those who have helped us, assisted us, committed themselves to our betterment. This is our time to take a moment to be grateful to all of them. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer merits that we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers, and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as Yanagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. 
This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those of you who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sub, sub, sub. Let us also take a moment to transmit to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to the Devas and Brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakha Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambuddhasasana. Let us also transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. May all have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoicing in the merits that we have all acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them, made to the power of these merits. If any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that made to the power of the blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants in this blessed land. And finally, may through the power of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, you and I and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an Arahat Unvahanse and Arahat Mehen Unvahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. Looking forward to speaking to you again next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.